grabs McKinley, and she's not breathing. She's not breathing at all. They finally got her breathing, and they ran her out of the room. So I'm chasing after this nurse down the hallway into the NICU, following my daughter, and I could see she is just struggling. You can see her chest just heaving up and down as she's trying to breathe, this little tiny baby. And I remember watching her as the nurse put her under one of those big plastic hoods and turned up the oxygen, and I could see uh, my daughter's O2 levels going down. Her blood ox level kept going down and down and down, no matter how much the nurse turned up the oxygen. And I could see this, like, directly proportional. More oxygen, less oxygen in her blood. And finally, the oxygen was maxed, maxed out, and I was like, oh my gosh. I asked the nurse, what are you going to do? Like, there's no more oxygen. And she ran out of the room without saying anything to me. And I was terrified, right? And I was thinking, God, where are you now? I remember praying. And looking over her and just saying, God, we've waited so long for her. Why would you give us this child and then take her away? Right here in this moment, where are you, God? Where are you? And, and some of us have had those moments where we literally have said, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing anything? And in those moments, that's what we ask. Where are you now? Where are you now? We need God in those moments. Perhaps you've had those moments. Maybe it has been a child that you love that has an issue, that is sick. Maybe it's um, because you've lost your job. God, where are you now? Maybe it's with that diagnosis, God, where are you now? And when we have those moments, that's the question we ask. And that's why we need hope in those moments. Perhaps some of you are in that moment right now. And if you are, this message is especially for you. Though I think all of us could hear it. Because we need hope for the present. We need hope for this moment. You know, sometimes we ask that question in, in strange times, like this week when I was wearing my pants and I went like this to pick up one of the kids and... <laughs> God, where were you when I was eating so much cheese? Why didn't you stop me, right? Okay, yes, that happened to me, okay. We have those ones, where are you now, God? Where are you now? So we're going to look at one of those stories in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to grab your Bible with me, Matthew, who writing this account of Jesus, starts out by talking about Jesus' dad, Joseph. And what we know about Joseph is that he was a good guy. He was, he was a good dude. He, he worked hard. He was a carpenter, meaning he probably worked in that region with stone, meaning he was strong. He was strong. He was, I mean, to work with stone, you, you have to know what your stuff. He's a carpenter. He's working hard. He probably had built his own house, what we know in those days. So this, this is a good dude. He's working hard, and he was good morally because he was waiting for marriage. I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to do for anybody, right? He was waiting for marriage, and so finally he found this young woman. He fell in love with her. She was beautiful, Mary. She liked him because he had a job, okay? You know, whatever it was, they fell in love, right? And then um, he proposes, they're, they're engaged. And even the parents liked this match. You know, that's what parents did in those days. They kind of arranged it or at least had to give approval. So everything's going good. Joseph's a good guy. He's working hard. He's good looking. He, he has a job. Um, and here he is. And they're probably, if we can imagine, they're you know, showing off the ring, they're going to taste cake, they're checking out event centers, as they did in those days. <laughs> and then he notices Mary's showing a little bit. And it turns out she's pregnant, and he knows he's not the father. They've been waiting. He's been a righteous dude, and now this woman that he's been waiting for has cheated on him with some other dude. Now, we're not told exactly what he was thinking, but it says that he was contemplating. He was really focusing and thinking. 
And it says that he um, wanted to divorce her quietly. They had to divorce in those days because engagement in those days actually required a divorce to break it off. So even though they're engaged, they're not married. This is going to be a major ordeal, and he wants to do it quietly. He's been saving himself. He's been working in art. He's got a job, ladies, okay? He can get, you know, late, but he was waiting. He was waiting. He was a good, moral, upright guy. And I'm guessing in that moment, he asked, God, where are you now? God, where are you now? And he went to sleep that night as he was processing this, thinking about it, worried about it. What is he going to do in this situation? And that's when God speaks to him and tells him, actually, that child inside of Mary was put there by the Holy Spirit. This child is the Savior. You will call him Jesus. That's his name. He's the Savior, and he will save his people from their sins. And then right at the end, Joseph is told something powerful about this son. In, in verse 23, this is our verse that we're going to focus on today. Verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph just had that moment, God, where are you? This is not what I planned for my life. This is not what I was thinking. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm with you. And your son is proof of that. So this verse here is actually referring back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. If you're interested more in that verse or in this idea of the virgin birth, why would God do it that way? I actually gave a whole message on that two years ago in our series, A Light Has Dawned. It's the first message in that series called Think Small. You can go back and find that message. It's good if you're curious about that. But what that word Emmanuel means is God with us. There's one word in Hebrew, three words in English, and it's this compound word that means God is with us. Now, back in Isaiah's day when that prophecy was given, it was in a very dark time. Things were going very bad for the nation of Israel, for God's people. And God gave them this sign. Hey, this, this young woman is going to have a child. It's going to be a sign of hope. And in the same way, in an even greater way, now it is fulfilled, this prophecy in Jesus, who is not just a sign of hope, but is literally God with us, God among us. This is God in human flesh, the incarnation, as we call it. Martin Luther would say, years later, the theologian, he would say, to this human being, you shall point and say, here is God. Here is God. Now, this is profound because God's people, the Jews, were not like all the other peoples in the ancient world. They were not like the Romans and the Greeks who had hundreds and thousands of gods. They were all over the place doing all sorts of stupid things. Okay, there was one God in Israel. They worshiped one God. There was only one God. It was central to their religion. And yet, somehow now, from the very beginning, Jesus is seen as God himself in human form. And from the very beginning, Christians who, who had all been Jewish are starting to worship Jesus as God. Now, this is a profound thing. How did something like that happen? Well, it happened because of this miraculous birth. It happened because of the things Jesus said and did, and more importantly, how he died and then rose from the dead. But all of that wasn't known by Joseph at the time. All that he knew was that he was told that God would be with us in the son, Jesus. Jesus would be called Emmanuel. It is not his name, but it is his title. It means that God is here with us. God in human flesh. Now, I think that this is so important because up till this point, God had shown up Lots of times in history. But whenever he showed up, it was in a powerful, fierce way. Think about it. Moses encounters God, how? Through a huge fire on the mountain. 
this burning bush. Okay, when he walked up, he had to take off his sandals because it was his holy place. When, when God did uh, come and, and decide to give God's people the Ten Commandments, and Moses goes up on the mountain, there's this huge cloud that covers. Nobody can go up there except Moses. And then when he comes down, his face is glowing. He has to wear a veil because he has been around the presence of God. God showed up with a pillar of cloud during the day to lead God's people out of uh, Egypt and slavery, and then a pillar of fire at night. God shows up in fire. He shows up in these powerful ways. He, he shakes the earth. That's how God showed up again and again and again to the Old Testament. There's power. There's something fierce. There's glory. Yet this same God who showed up in those ways again and again and again now shows up in a completely different way. Comes in the form of a human being, even a baby. And I think this is so important because we see that this God with us is still the same fierce, powerful God, and yet he is also a little baby. You can cuddle a little baby. I cuddle our babies. We have twins right now, and even though they're one year old, they still let us cuddle them. And I love holding our babies and giving them a bottle. It's, so, it's like a comforting thing. You know, you comfort them, but they also comfort you, let's be honest, right? When you're cuddling a baby, I mean, it's a soft. It, there's, there's love, there's comfort, there's warmth. The fierce God who shows up in fire and earthquakes is this God now that comes as a little human being, a baby. Now, this is so important for us, and this is going to be a strange big idea, maybe, but I think you're going to remember it. Because as this God shows up, what we learn, and what we learn from this, this verse, especially that phrase that Jesus is God with us, is that Jesus is the lion on your side. I told you you're going to remember this one. Jesus is the lion on your side. When he comes in the form of this human being for the first time, God, the same God who created the universe, who knits you together, who has all power and all authority, is also this human being who came to live for you, to serve you, to love you, and to die for you. And that's why I can say Jesus is the lion on your side. Now, this idea of God as a lion, because the lion is, of course, the fiercest of all the land animals, and it was in the Bible too. But God is often referred in the Old Testament to being a lion, or like a lion. You can see this in particular in Hosea, in the book of Hosea, in chapter 5. It says, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, this is God speaking, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. This is the God, this is how he showed up in the Old Testament. He was a God that would tear people a shred. And because God's people had been disobedient, he was taking them and literally ripping them out of their own home country and taking them away into exile. He's a lion and he's fierce. And even later in Hosea, though, it's this, this same lion, it says, they will follow the Lord, he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west and I will settle them in their homes. Even after the time of exile, when God is bringing his people back into the promised land, he's still a fierce lion that's causing them to tremble because he roars. Okay? That, that's the God we, we see again and again in the Old Testament, this roaring God. Can, can everybody roar right now? Can we just do that right now? Roar! Okay, we got one good roar over here. That was very weak, okay? 
That was very weak. Let's, let's do a roar, and I want the kids to hear us roar on, on three. One, two, three. Roar! Okay, you guys are better than first service. But it was still a little weak, right? You're laughing, Callie. I didn't hear you roar very loud. Okay, let's do it one more time. One, two, three. Roar! That's better. I think they heard that upstairs. Did you hear that up there? Yeah. God roars like that. If, you, if you're online, you can type in a roar and maybe give me a little lion emoji in the comment section. Can you do that, please? Because God is like that. So often, this fierce lion, he roars. We're afraid that he'll rip us to shreds. He's a powerful God. He is greatly to be feared. And yet we learn in the New Testament that God shows up as Jesus, and Jesus doesn't stop being a fierce lion, but he is also a human. It says in Revelation chapter 5 about Jesus, don't cry. I love that. Don't cry. Look, the lion from Judah's tribe, the great descendant of David, has won the victory. So you know, we know that Jesus, he came in human form, and he was still the lion, and when he died and rose from the dead, he is that lion still, and he has brought the victory through his death on the cross. He's victorious, the lion, that the descendant of David, who we know is Jesus himself, the lion became human form. He became like a lamb. And, and this is why I want you to know that Jesus is the lion on your side. Now, uh, she was here in the first service, but we have a new woman in our church named uh, Alice. And Alice Todd is a zoo and aquarium instructor. Okay? I think that's a fascinating job. I've been talking to her, her about it a bunch because I'm like just curious. So whenever you go to the zoo, you go to the aquarium, and they like have the animals out, and they show you different things, you know, instruct the animals and all that, instruct the people about um, what the animals, that's what she does. And I have a, a couple pictures of her. Here's her with um, some turtles. And then I have one picture of her with a tiger. I don't know if you can see that, but it's a gigantic tiger, right? Because I asked her this week, I said, hey, have you ever worked with lions? And if so, what are they like? Because I was, I was just curious. And she didn't have any pictures of lions, but she did have one with the tiger. And, and she has spent some time. And this is what she wrote. This is what she said. She said, uh, it was a little intimidating at first because it is a very large 800-pound cat looking at you. Can you just imagine that? I've been pretty far away, okay? I am not the American Furniture Warehouse guy. I am not Tiger King, okay? Lions are over there for me, right? They're fierce. She says, however, cat behavior is the same whether they are big or small. So they do a lot of the same things a house cat does. They tend to be pretty vocal when they want something, roaring. And they are very powerful, and their paws are huge, one of the things you are first told when working with big cats is to be aware of where they are because they are very keen to their surroundings. They see and hear everything. You are also told to be very deliberate with movements. They harness strength and power and can use it very quickly. But she said they're also very gentle and take, can take care of things. I think that's fascinating. She said, like, they're like a house cat, and yet they're also fierce, right? And she said after working with them for a while, she said, this is interesting, there is a trust. There is a trust that builds. You learn their behaviors and needs. There's something powerful and respectful. She said, after working with them for a while, I knew my place and the cat knew theirs. Fascinating, right? This fierce lion 
But you've got to be careful with don't make any sudden movements, right? You can also be like a house cat you can, that purrs, that you can rub. And I, I just find that so interesting that, that we see that. This, this gigantic lion who is fierce is also a lion that you can learn to trust. And when you trust, you know that that lion is on your side. I mean, you don't have to worry about the lion attacking you, although though there still is a healthy fear, right? You're careful. And yet, also with that lion, if you know that they're with you, you're in a sense protected too. They're on your side. And that's why I'm saying in this message, Jesus is the lion on your side. And that's what God with us teaches us. One of my favorite books as a kid was The Horse and His Boy. It's in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, it's not one of the more popular books, but it was my favorite. It still is in that series, in, in that series of seven books. And C.S. Lewis wrote that series, and in, in the book, The Horse and His Boy tells about a young boy named Shasta, and Shasta had, been, um, had, had no parents. He didn't know his parents. He was an orphan, and he had floated on, on a boat up to the shore, and a man found him, took him into his home, kind of treated him like a child, but really treated him like a slave. So he had grown up in this household, and when he was a little bit older, he um, discovered that this man who was kind of his dad was going to sell him to another master who was very cruel to be his slave. So he ran away, and of course he ran away with the talking horse, because that's what you do in the land of Narnia. Um, and they weren't actually in Narnia, but they wanted to escape to go to Narnia because they thought they might be safe there. So they were on a he was on horseback, he, he was getting out, and there was all sorts of journeys. That's what the book is about, the journeys and all the, the people he meets, the friends he makes, and that journey. But there's one point in the journey when he gets left behind by his friends. He's left behind, and he's there on, on his horse, and he's in the mountains, and things are getting dark. There's uh, cloud coverage. There's mist all around him, so he can't even see through the fog. And he is left behind at night in a place he's never been, and he starts to feel sorry for himself. He's feeling real bad, and he starts to cry. Tears are coming down his face. But then he notices something right next to him. He doesn't know how long it's been there, but it's been there for a while. And he senses this thing, and he's terrified. And when this thing is out there, finally he can't hold it back any longer, and he just says, who are you? to the thing, and in response, the thing says, myself, twice, myself, and then he finally just says, you know, I am the unluckiest person in the whole world, he's feeling sorry for himself, he's alone, he's struggling, and this thing that's out there says, well, tell me, tell me more. So he begins to unload, and he, he tells about how he doesn't even know his parents. He was abandoned on this boat when he was just a little boy before he even knew anything, and, and that he was being sold as a slave, and he escaped. And when he was on horseback, he tells some of the journey about how there was lions that chased him and forced him to go in a different direction, and then there some other things that happened, and even one of his friends got attacked by a lion and had been wounded. And he says, I've been running into these lions again and again and again to which this thing that's out there says, I don't think you're very unfortunate. And Shasta responds, what do you mean? How could someone be so unlucky to run into all these lions in their life? To which the thing says, there were not many lions, there was only one. And then he says this line. He says, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus, that her, his friend. I was the cat who comforted you. 
I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horse the new strength of fear for the last mile. We get the next slide. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. I love this scene because Shasta realizes there was just one lion and it was that thing out there. The light shone, shines and, and, and then he realizes this gigantic lion and he's afraid but it's a completely different type of fear at this point. And what he realizes right then that this lion was there through all of the different times he was there and forced him to go a different direction he didn't want to go. He was there to comfort him when he was at his worst moment. He, he was even there and wounded his friend and yet, there was also the lion at the very beginning, before he was even aware of things, pushing him into a certain direction. I love that this analogy, because God is like a lion. Jesus is like a lion who's fierce and powerful. And yet, when he's on our side, he will also comfort us and protect us and watch over us. So I want you to think about your life Maybe you can think back into your own life and some of those moments and you can look back and you say, wow, I felt like I was forced to do that thing that I didn't want to do. I went to this place. I didn't even want to go there. I moved. I was just going, kicking and struggling the whole time. I quit this job I shouldn't have. I started this new job. I had to switch schools. I had to leave that relationship. But now you look back and you say, wow, that was so much for the better than had I gone that other direction I wanted to. See, sometimes God is the lion who forces us or leads us to a direction that we don't even want to go. Think of my own life, and I'm so grateful I did not marry some of those other girls, <laughs> and that I married the love of my life, Melissa, who's upstairs with our kids right now. Right? So grateful God led me that way. Sometimes God is the lion who leads us and forces us to go even a different direction than we wanted. Sometimes he's also, God is the lion that comforts us, like the big cat comforts us at a moment of need, when we're struggling, when we're down in the dumps, when, when we're just depressed, and maybe we open up the Bible and it just speaks to us like never before. Or you come to a worship service and, and the preacher just says something, wow, that's what I needed to hear. That song was exactly what I needed to sing. It spoke to me. Or, or perhaps it was a person God put in your life. I remember when we were struggling with, with, a, with a miscarriage and, and we were in Moab just struggling and just happened to show up Melissa's pastor from her hometown, the guy who had married us 10 years before and he just happened to come by and come in and talk with us and offer counsel and just listen to us. I know God sent him to comfort us in that moment. Sometimes God is the lion who comforts us. Sometimes he's also the lion who protects us, maybe if we don't even know it. You can probably look back in your life and say, wow, God protected me. I should have died there. That shouldn't have happened. I, I was about to take that job, and I'm glad I didn't because the company went bankrupt and I would have been losing everything. So glad God saved me from that. Or, or perhaps God sometimes is the lion who wounds you. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's really difficult. But God is like the surgeon. He, he does make a cut. But he does it for your good. And those moments are some of the hardest. But looking back, perhaps you can see, yes, maybe God was in those moments and I didn't even know it. You could not even be a follower of Jesus. You may look back at your life and say, wow, how did that happen? And you may have moments that you say, wow, I did encounter God. 
in the horse and his boy, the way that Shasta first finds out that that lion is with him is when it breathes on him. He's freezing cold and he just hears a sigh, a big sigh and and warm, hot breath on his cold arm. That's when he finally recognizes that this lion is there, but it had been there the whole time. See, I think we have these moments in our life that are like the breath of the lion. We can look back. Some of you aren't even Christians yet, but God was working in your life. He was near you. He was moving. He was protecting you. He was even wounding you, but it was him the whole time for your good. In Acts chapter 17, verse uh, 27 and 28, it says, God wanted people to look for him, and perhaps in searching all around for him, they would find him, but he is not far from any of us. It is through him that we are able to live, to do what we do, and to be who we are. God is near to all of us, and if you look around and seek for him, you will see him. If you open up your senses to be aware that the breath of the lion is there. You can't sense it all the time, but sometimes you're just made aware that God is there in that moment of your life, and he was there for you. He wants you to find him. Now, some of you are saying, well, well, Matt, I, I think I felt it in the past. I, I can look back and say, wow, that was a powerful moment. I know God was there for me that, that one desperate night, but I don't feel him right now. I don't feel him right now. I haven't felt him in weeks, months, years. Where is he? Well, here's here's the truth. God's presence is not dependent on your feelings. Let me say that again. God's presence is not dependent on your feelings. It is an objective fact. He is there. He's not far from any one of us. In some versions it says, in him we live, move, and have our being. He's the very air we breathe. He is around us inside of us and all around us at certain moments yes you can feel the breath of the lion but other times you don't even know he's there he's protecting you behind the scenes but god is always there he's always near he's always with us he's always the lion on your side that's what we need to know today some of you are going through such difficult times even right now and you're saying how could god be with me when that happened matt my daughter wasn't spared Where was God then? And the reality is sometimes we cannot see and maybe we'll never fully see why those woundings had to happen, those difficulties. But God was there. He was in the midst of it. He did not leave you. He did not forsake you. I I read the story of um, Stephen Curtis Chapman. uh, And this happened a few years ago. Um, but of course, very famous <laughs> Christian musician, um, and he went on a mission trip to China. And before he left, his his wife told him, "Whatever you do, don't look at any of the orphans because we're not adopting one." And of course, he went on this trip, met a young girl named Maria, an orphan. And he fell in love, and they adopted her. And and they brought her into the family. They loved her. They made her one of their own kids. And then just a few years after that, she died in a tragic accident. And they talk about, he and his wife, Mary Beth, talk about how that moment was one of the most difficult, terrible moments of their life. Pure grief. They had no idea how they would get out of that spiral. And in those moments, I'm sure they wondered, where is God now? And yet they realized through that that 
In just a few years, they had taken this girl who did not know any love from parents, and they loved her so much in those few years. And they knew that there were so many other orphans that needed help as well, that needed hope. So they decided to um, really focus their efforts on, on a ministry and a nonprofit they started called Show Hope. They built an orphanage the next year in China. And they started working more and more to get families connected with kids who especially had special needs to get them adopted. And since then, they've worked in over 60 different nations and seen 6,800 children adopted into those forever families. See, God had somehow worked in that terrible, tragic moment when they wondered, where is God now to do something incredible, to provide hope to so many more? So maybe you're in that moment, you're in that desperate point right now, you're struggling, and you don't know how things can get better. You don't have hope. But if you know that God is with you, if you know that the lion is on your side, you can get through it because that lion, that fierce lion is fighting for you. And he will make things right. He will make things good. You know, we're looking at this verse that comes at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. But Matthew writes about the rest of the story of Jesus, that he was born in a manger, that he became a young boy who grew in obedience and became a perfect, righteous man who loved others and served others and gave everything of himself to others. But then this same Jesus, to the people he came to love and save and serve, they arrested him and beat him. They punished him and then they put him up on a cross to die. The lion had become a lamb. And that lamb was sacrificed in our place. The lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world was slain in our place. But we know that's not the end of the story because Matthew also tells us that three days later, there was a roar, there was a rumble, the earth shook, and a stone rolled away, and Jesus rose from the dead to prove to everyone that God has power, that he is still the lion who roars. And when Jesus died on the cross for us, he proved that he is on our side. And you know the very last words in Matthew's gospel. See, the very beginning it says that Jesus means God is with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And at the very end, the very last words are Jesus himself saying, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus knew we needed that encouragement. Matthew made sure to let us know God is with us at the beginning, he's with us at the end. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never leave us, he will never forsake us. I am with you always till the very end of the age. Jesus is the lion on your side. Let's pray. Lord God, I know there's someone in here today, there's someone watching that needs to be reminded that you are with them. They are in depression. They are struggling. They've lost a job. They don't know how they're going to get through this season. They're, they're worried about being lonely. Lord God, would you let them know that you are with them? Even if they can't see how to get through to the future, that in this moment, they would know that you're on their side. Maybe this moment, they would feel the breath of the lion. And in that powerful, profound way, they would know that you are fighting for them and you always win, that you are victorious. With everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, maybe if you're here, you don't have that lion on your side yet, but you've known looking back that he has been fighting for you. He's been there at different moments. If you're ready to make him your Lord and Savior and accept his gift of eternal life, I want you to learn to trust that lion today. And so say this prayer with me. 
Dear God, thank you for loving me. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Redeem me. I declare that Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you and serve you for all my days. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time, I want you to go to arisedenver.com slash follow. Fill that out. I want to encourage you, pray for you. I'll even send you a book um, because I'd love to encourage you on this journey. Now, for all of us, Lord God, I just pray again over us. Maybe in this moment, someone needs to feel that breath of the lion again. Would you fill their soul? Let them know that you are with them, inside them, fighting for them on their side. Lord God, we are so glad that you sent Jesus, who was both the lion and the lamb. Amen.